Hi, I'm Rob Holman, international speaker, best-selling author, and inside-out leadership catalyst. I'm on a personal mission to interview 12 of the greatest inside-out leaders in the world in 2021. These extraordinary leaders come from business, sports, politics, and entertainment who have faithfully demonstrated inspiration, humility, courage, perseverance, and servant leadership. Get ready and enjoy our next amazing episode of Inside Out Leadership. And that is really what facilitated my next stage of life in a very meaningful way. Um, you know, my whole approach to servant leadership that I codified in my book uh, came from saying, who am I not going to be as a leader? I had a journal of notes of I will not lead like that. That will not be my reputation. That is not what I will stand for. But boy, I had to get that sorted out before I could share it with others or lead through that lens. Um, and so I often say a leader who stops learning stops leading. Mm. A who stops learning stops leading. And so if you feel you're stuck or you're in a position of, you know, just kind of wallowing in self-pity over some bad thing that happened, you need to really shake yourself up and get it up from that place. Uh, learn from it and be a better leader because of it. That was Cheryl Batchelder, author of the best-selling book, Dare to Serve, responding to Rob Holman about how she changes her perspective on challenging and difficult situations in the workplace to avoid getting stuck in hard times. Cheryl is a passionate restaurant industry executive and former CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, known for her crisp strategic thinking, franchisee-focused approach, superior financial performance, and the development of outstanding leaders and teams. In this episode, Rob talks with Cheryl about the ideas of servant leadership, which is the premise of her book. From Audiburst Media, this is Inside Out Leadership with Rob Holman. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. Yeah, I so appreciate you. I, I want to connect some dots for some of our viewers and listeners today. I shared this with you before, but I had a good friend, someone who I do a consulting for, and this is back a couple of years ago, and he's in his mid-40s as I am, and he gets back from this conference in which he heard you speaking on a topic that I know is near and dear to your heart as well as mine, which is in the area of servant leadership. He comes back and he says, Rob, you have got to connect with this woman, Cheryl Batchelder. I just heard her speaking. She's so genuine. She's so passionate. Her love, her care, and concern for human beings, let alone her own sphere of influence, is absolutely remarkable. You've got to connect with her. And it didn't take me long, Cheryl. It probably was about 24 to 48 hours. I connected with you over LinkedIn. And little did I know at that time, or you know at that time, you would be on my show, Inside Out Leadership. So thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. It's good to be with you. I love what you're doing and the conversations that you're having. Awesome. So I got to first ask you, these have been, to put it lightly, strange and interesting times we find ourselves in with COVID. The last 13, knocking on the door of 14 months, not just as leaders, but also just as human beings, as people with hearts that beat, minds that churn. So for you, just on the personal front, on the home front, how are you doing during these COVID times? Well, thank you for asking. It has indeed been an unusual time. 
I have to say that uh, for our family and our home, uh, we've been reasonably blessed. We've been healthy. We're grateful for all those things. Um, I think there's been a silver lining in learning to slow down the pace a bit. Um, I laughed in uh, January of 2020, my book that I chose to read that month was by a guy named Mark Comer, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And then the whole world stopped. <laughs> I thought, wow, God's got a sense of humor, you know, uh, because it really, I think I needed a slowing down, a, a repacing of life. I think most of us need that periodically. Um, and COVID has allowed for a, a little bit more reflection time and margin time. To be honest, my biggest concern is that I not give that back too fast uh, as we return to, you know, kind of the full world that we're used to. Um, I'd say the downside for me of COVID is I'm an extrovert. So, uh, well, I don't mind doing, uh, you know, the online conversations. I really do prefer hugs and humans. And so um, I do look forward to kind of being back in the world with uh, people again. You and I are very similar that way. There's nothing like, I love hugging people, not in some strange way, just people that I care about and they right. care about me as well. There's nothing like that physical touch that way, uh, even in the workplace with those that there's been trust built and fostered, et cetera. So that's been challenging for me as well. So I've got to ask you this, as you've been more on the home front, how do, how do you recharge your batteries? Like, have you discovered or rediscovered certain things about what energize you? How to share a batch, how to rest, in other words. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think what uh, it's allowed for better self-care routines. You know, when you, uh, I've traveled every uh, week of my adult life uh, until this 14 months. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think self-care routines are what usually go first when we get under stress or heavy commitments. And so I've enjoyed kind of a new rhythm and a more faithful rhythm of, uh, you know, quiet time with coffee in the morning, uh, getting a good start to the day. Uh, I've started taking a walk in the middle of the afternoon, which I've never done. I've never been outdoors when it was light and three o'clock, you know. Um, and so uh, I'm finding it kind of refreshing to have these um, other people might call them normal routines, but for me, they've never been normal. And so, uh, you know, I think we're eating healthier. You know, we're at home more. Uh, my husband says I've become a, a I don't know if he says a good cook or a better cook, but either way, uh, you know, we're having some nice meals um, and, uh, you know, kind of enjoying that home life. I think we desperately need a stronger sense of home in our life. It's our, our safe place, our place of comfort. Um, and uh, I'm enjoying those aspects of it. Good. No, I'm asking you that for a couple of reasons. One is I know our listeners and, and those viewing can certainly benefit from it, but selfishly, I'm just trying to get some ideas of how I could better rest <laughs> because like you being such an extrovert, I'm trying some new things. I'm tapping into some old things that, that used to energize me. So no, I appreciate you sharing that. To let us in, we could talk all day long about your accolades and there's many of them, but I want I want to get to know you. I want our viewers and listeners to really get to know who you are. If you look at your upbringing, for instance, I'm just going to do a deep dive, Cheryl, if you let me do that. Okay. All right. So when you were younger, was there like a life milestone, something that happened to you? It could have been highly challenging, could be a tremendous blessing that really helped shape you to become the person you are today. Just a phenomenal leader, servant leader, 
you have an amazing amount of influence, positive influence over the lives of so many people globally. But what has contributed to that if you go back? Well, I think there's two things, a blessing and a trial. Um, the blessing was I grew up in a, a really lovely home. Uh, my parents were encouragers. Um, they had four children. Um, I was the oldest. They encouraged us in our gifts and talents. They encouraged us even when we weren't so gifted and talented at something. Um, and uh, they encouraged us to get a great education. They really had our backs. Um, and then they shared, I'd call them moral lessons every day of our life, um, kind of showing us how to make decisions that are healthy and wise and, and work well for the long term. They shared their faith with us and guided us towards an understanding of, you know, a worldview. Um, so we were incredibly uh, secure and, and well tended to by our parents. And our grandparents, by the way, I keep I keep my grandma Stanton on the uh, desk here every day because Aww. she had incredible positive influence into my life. I was very close to her. Um, she lived to be 98, wow. so I had a lot of good years with her. So family is like the first and foremost foundational thing. And I often say to people, if that wasn't your blessing, and I understand that for many it is not, um, I just encourage you to think about how yours could be a, a blessing, right, going forward. I've watched this in many people's lives. They weren't given that gift, but boy, they created it for their family or for others who became family-like to them. So um, that's family. The second thing, though, is uh, perhaps more important. Um, none of us uh, learn the most important lessons without some struggle. Uh, trial, tribulation, trips, ditches, whatever you want to call them. Um, and to be honest, I was probably in my 40s before I hit real trials. I had a couple of years that just kind of, it all came apart. Um, I lost my job. I actually got fired for the first time in my life. I hadn't even gotten fired from a sandwich job in high school. I mean, I had no experience uh, falling on my face at work. Um, I had breast cancer. I had no experience with serious illness. I wasn't very excited about it. It didn't suit my plan. Um, and then I had some family challenges um, at the same time because, by the way, stress tends to come home. Um, and I just said, "Oh my goodness, you know how many? How much can happen at once?" And I got kind of, to be honest, at first, you know, probably stages of grief. I got angry, frustrated. You know, what's happening in my life? What's going on here? But I will tell you today that every lesson of leadership I needed for the opportunity that came after that at Popeyes came from that time. If you don't wrestle through some lessons in life and really find out what you believe and who you are and what you think you're here to do in this life, um, you can't really be the best version of yourself. And so if you've had those trials, um, you know, count them as blessings and figure out as fast as possible how to learn for them, not to reside in them. You know, don't live there, but learn quickly from them and apply them to your life going forward. Um, it will serve you well and others well who are going to see how you've learned and grown. How do we, this is fascinating to me. I appreciate you letting us in in this way. How do you not stay there? Is there any practical thing that you've done or things that you've done that have really helped you not remain there, but begin in time at least to rise above it 
So your perspective on that trial tribulation could begin to change. You could begin to see it out of a different lens. Is there any practical advice there? Yeah, the, the first is I didn't do it well at that point in time. So I want to be completely transparent with you. I wallowed in it too long. Even some people tried to tell me that, that I was, you know, just sitting in it and but I couldn't hear it. Um, and so knowing that we're all going to face those things, my guidance to you is keep a journal right nearby. Um, be in a practice of daily noting what life is teaching you. So that when you hit the bumps, you're inclined to, I call it codify them, write them down, figure out the lesson and figure out the action that can come from learning that lesson, the go forward implication. Because until you pivot to that productive learning point of view that I'm going to capture lessons all the way through my life, they're going to happen constantly. Life is one long lesson. Um, and I'm going to try to apply them sooner rather than later. Um, and that is really what facilitated my next stage of life in a very meaningful way. Um, you know, my whole approach to servant leadership that I codified in my book uh, came from saying, who am I not going to be as a leader? I had a journal of notes of I will not lead like that. That will not be my reputation. That is not what I will stand for. But boy, I had to get that sorted out before I could share it with others or lead through that lens. Um, and so I often say a leader who stops learning, stops leading. Mm. A leader who stops learning, stops leading. And so if you feel you're stuck or you're in a position of, you know, just kind of wallowing in self-pity over some bad thing that happened, you need to really shake yourself up and get it up from that place. Uh, learn from it and be a better leader because of it. Love it, Cheryl. You know, words of wisdom from you, honestly. And it comes from, isn't it amazing how our test can become a testimony and we can begin to truly help people out of that place of, of learned practices, learned principles, and you've done just that. Now, you happen to be a pioneer. I will call you that, a pioneer in the area of servant leadership. And no telling now that, I mean, coming out of that difficult time for you, and I believe you said your mid-40s, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of humility, a lot of refinement, a lot of different things. I assume that that made you a much more effective servant leader. How would you even define that term? Because some of us are used to the servant leadership and others maybe not. They're used to micromanagement. They're used to other terms uh, you know, surrounding different types and kinds of leaders. When we talk about servant leadership, how would you define it? Well, the defi definition that I chose, I called dare to serve because I felt there were two components of it. Uh, first, that the leader has the courage to take the people to a daring destination. Uh, great leadership requires vision and a destination that the people can't necessarily envision for themselves. So first and foremost, courageous vision for the enterprise. And secondly, the humility the counterbalance of humility to serve the people well as you move towards that definition. And I find that it's the tension between the courage and the humility that creates the place where people perform their best work. So let's think about that. Um, people are challenged in that, uh, if you use that model, people are challenged to do something really great together, something big, something important, something meaningful, right? And when people have that challenge and they are well cared for in the journey, they will pull out all the stops. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you have never seen the potential in people till you give them a 
courageous destination and take care of them in the journey. They will unlock all kinds of productivity, creativeness, innovation that you've never seen before. Now, let me remind you of what the counterbalance is. If there is no courageous destination and no care for the people, people hide, they protect, they stay in a safe place, they bring nothing risky to the table or nothing innovative or creative or nothing big, no problem solving. They try to protect themselves from harm. And I can't imagine getting less from a human being than when they're in that closed state of, I'm sorry, I've checked out of here because it's not safe for you to give me my best work. Well, I enjoy what you're saying there because providing a safe haven for people where they do feel cared for. A quote that I came across that you oftentimes say is, I must know you to grow you. And that knowing, that experiential knowing of someone takes time. It can be messy. So take us into that a little bit. Speak to that, the messiness of relationship. Now this we might be looking at our personal relationships, but certainly workplace relationships as well. When we are truly committed to get to know each other, it's not going to be pretty all the time. Right. It can be messy. There's a sacrifice involved. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, I first want to touch on your point about the time it takes to truly get to know people in the workplace. Um, I think it's the most underattended area of leadership. I think leaders have been taught pretty well how to create a vision and some tactics and some ideas on how to move the business forward. I don't think we've been instructed well on how to know and develop our people. And so the first thing is time. How much time do you allot to your people? I ask my leaders to allot a third of their week to knowing and developing their people. And they all went, "Ah!" Right. I can imagine. Sure. That's a lot of time, Cheryl. It's a lot of time. It's huge. But, you know, I thought I had to scare them into it, okay? Um, So I started by doing it myself. And they saw me in the office all day Monday. I'd have my staff meeting Monday morning. And then I'd have one-on-one sessions afternoon of Monday and most of Tuesday. I did it myself. I watched them. I asked them questions like, do you appreciate the 60 to 90 minutes that I spend with you each week or not? You know, because people forget to ask that question. And they go, well, yeah, we get a lot done. You know, we make a lot of sharp, fast decisions. It keeps us agile and moving. um, And it lets me know you care. Um, And I said, so what do you think your people would think if you spent 60 or 90 minutes with them? You know, and everybody goes, oh, um, what a concept. So I, I, you have to model it if you want your leaders to do it. Um, You have to step out in faith that time spent, yeah, you have a good outline, right? This isn't a free-for-all, but you have a good outline for what you're going to discuss. And um, part, it is mostly business, but it's also partly personal and the get-to-know-you side. Um, so that everybody says that's time well used, that's advancing both the relationship and the work. You know, we're always re- advancing the relationship and the work. Um, but here's the thing. What I noticed is when people came into my office and said they had a performance issue with a person, And the first thing I asked them was, how well do you know the person? Most of them said, I think I'll have to get back to you. Because they really didn't, they hadn't really checked out. I wonder if there's something else going on besides work. I wonder uh, if there's been something at home or I wonder if there's a new stress in their life. Um, 
And of course, there's all kinds of privacy practice in, in that, but there's no harm in asking a person, is there anything else going on that's affecting your work? Because I really want to be sensitive to your whole life um, and leave it to them to tell you what they want to tell you. So I, it unlocks important conversation. I can tell you I've been in situations where that personal touch of saying what else is going on in your life has absolutely changed the game uh, and allowed the person to be, bring their whole self to work, which is always a better version of yourself than some small part. Agreed. I mean, that human to human connection, there's nothing like it where people and leaders feel valued and they feel appreciated in that place. And you create a safe space for them to where now compels. And this is another something I want to ask you about is collaboration. You're a huge proponent of, you know, certainly caring for people, but also the creative collaboration. Is it safe to say then, as you care for people, they feel validated, they feel safe, they feel cared for, that out of that place, they just naturally, you begin to collaborate more with them. Is that is it a pretty natural process when they feel what I call loved on a little bit? <laughs> well, it certainly um, allows them to feel comfortable bringing forward their ideas. But I will tell you that collaboration um, is not the norm in our culture. I don't think we teach that either. Uh, because one of the things you have to have to collaborate well is you have to value differences in others. Um, and I think culture has pretty much taught us to put some clones together that all like each other and all think alike. True. Um, and all the data, all the research, Harvard, Stanford, anybody you call says that diverse teams pr uh, produce superior results, right? Because they see the problem from different angles. They come at it with different experiences. They come at it with different skills and they break up the risk that clones <laughs> will yeah. come up with the same solution every time, but we don't teach this. And so, yes, the first step is for a supervisor to know and care for their people, but it's also to assemble a team that has complementary skills, not clones, and then teach the team the value of that. I once brought an executive into the room. We had like nine in the room and it was a new person with a very different style than the rest of the group. And the difference was candor, really can strong candor, right? Just truth teller. And everybody in the room went, whoa, that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and they literally said things like, why are you doing that? Why would you, why would you say it that way? You know, that people were just instantly uncomfortable. But over time, they came to value that person as the truth teller as the person willing to say out loud, well, the one option we haven't considered is this, or the thing you're not saying out loud is this, right? The elephant in the room, right? Yeah. Actually say it. Um, and it became a very important part of the way we made decisions to take that person's views into account. Mm -hmm. So that that is though the supervisor's responsibility to teach, mm -hmm. to encourage, to role model, that those differences are, we're, we're seeking them, we're looking for them, we value them. This has been, you and I could go, I'm telling you, Sharon, we could go on hours and I wish we could. And so this, I'm already inviting you back for another part of this sometime in the future. I don't know when that's going to be, but as we always like to land our plane close to about 30 minutes, I'm just going to let that rest with everyone because we tackled a lot. We got to know who you are. We got to know more of your heart, more of your mind, how you lead. And so thank you. No, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You've left such a positive impression in my heart. I know I'm not the only one that you truly 
do absolutely amazing work, but you do it out of the right place. And now knowing a bit more about you, it comes from a very deep place. It comes from some hurt and pain because out of that place of hurt, pains, trials, and tribulations, you're empathetic towards the needs of other people. And you're quick to go and meet them and meet those needs. And out of that place, there's unity and there's trust and foster trust. So thank you just for being with us. Thank you for sharing your heart, being so candid with us today. And I look forward to just to continue to journey with you. So thank you. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So as we bring Inside Out Leadership to a close, I not only want to thank Cheryl Batchelder for the time that she spent with us today, but I also want to thank our sponsor, Auto Conversion. You know, I've been a member of Auto Conversion since 2017. So it's been three, knock on the door, four years now. And Auto Conversion, in partnering with them uh, as a PR and marketing strategic partner, they've helped me not only with this podcast, but really get me up and running to help broaden my voice of influence, to help serve leaders all over the world. So if you're in need of an organization to help you uh, produce your podcast, to help you with your PR and marketing strategy, I really want to encourage you to get in touch with Auto Conversion today. In addition to that, I want to uh, ask you to consider being a part of my Get Paid to Speak boot camp. It's a boot camp in which I call speakers and aspiring speakers to be a part of a community for a length of time, approximately six months, to where we're in the trenches together. We're content producers in our own right. Maybe some have written books, some have talked on very large stages, but we want our influence to grow. We want to get paid what we're worth to speak. If that's you, I want to encourage you to go to robholman.com forward slash GPS and register right away to be a part of this world-class speaker community. Hey, I just want to say thank you on behalf of Cheryl. My name is Rob Holman, and this has been Inside Out Leadership. Until next time, we'll see you later. This is Audiburst Media.